You're listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, recorded at the studio of Maine Magazine at 75 Market Street, Portland, Maine. Dr. Lisa Belial is a physician trained in family and preventative medicine, acupuncture, and public health. She offers medical care and acupuncture at Brunswick Family Medicine. Read more about her integrative approach to wellness in Maine Magazine. Here are some highlights from this week's program. You know, I kind of believe that everything's connected, and I believe that positive energy is important when you're facing a challenge or facing an obstacle. I believe in those type of things that every little detail you're involved in matters. It kind of fits together at the end into a puzzle, and and you have to pay attention to the little pieces to make sure it all goes together. If health isn't a top three value for you, it's going to be very hard for you to turn the corner, so to speak. You know, maybe you put family and and financial security and and different values, and that's fine. But when you actually talk to most people about it, health is down the line. It could be five, six, or seven. And, And what I found, if that's the case, it's going to be really, really hard to make that change to a healthy lifestyle. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine, Marcy Booth of Booth, Maine, Apothecary by Design, Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage, Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial, Harding Lee Smith of The Rooms, and Bangor Savings Bank. This is Dr. Lisa Belial, and you are listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, show number 159, Motivation Multiplied airing for the first time on Sunday, September 28, 2014. How do we maintain motivation for achieving goals big and small? Hearing the stories of others and sharing our own story can make this happen. Today, we speak with Olympic loser and Girl Summer Camp founder, Julia Kluke, and Damon Machetto, athletic trainer and author of High Performance Living. Listen in to hear what keeps them motivated and find motivation for your own life. Thank you for joining us. Well, today we have a new Dr. Lisa Radio Hour milestone. This is our first Olympian that we have in the studio with us today, and I have great respect for individuals who have um, committed themselves in um, such a way to important things like the Olympics. Today we have Olympian Julia Kluke, who is a member of the U.S. Luge team, and Julia competed in the 2010 Olympics in Vancouver. She's also a spokesperson for the Maine Beer and Wine Distributors Association. Each summer, she hosts Julia Kluke's Camp for Girls on Moranacook Lake in Reedfield, Maine. Julia, thanks for coming in and bringing your presence into our studio. (laughs) Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. You're doing something that's important to you, and it it came out of, um, I think, an earlier an experience in your life that maybe didn't have as much to do with the Olympics. You're, a, you're as a spokesperson for the Maine Beer and Wine Distributors Association. It seems like it's it's not it's not something that every Olympian would choose. Yeah, I you know after the 2010 Olympics, the president of the Maine Beer and Wine Distributors Association approached me about their responsibility campaign that they were looking to grow um, in reaching young people and in trying to 
you know, keep them away from their products and make them be responsible for themselves and make good decisions because that's what we all want. We want kids to be healthy and safe. And um, it really was perfect timing. I was just moving back to the state of Maine from living in Lake Placid, New York for, for almost a decade. And I was looking for a way to reconnect with my community and give back in the way that I felt I had been given through the over the course of my career. And that's really where the partnership started. And it's just grown every year since then. And I'm very passionate about connecting with Maine youth and sharing my story you know athletically and personally with them so that they go home you know realizing that one you can do anything it doesn't matter where you come from uh two you know that they own their own potential and they decide how hard they're going to work where they're going to go with whatever activity they're passionate about and then also to stay healthy and to make good decisions for themselves because you if you make bad decisions those can follow you down the road so it's important to to be thinking about where you want to go and how you want to get there so tell us about your story. So I got involved in the sport of luge very randomly. The U.S. luge team came to Portland, Maine in 1997, and a friend and I read about it in the paper, and the very bottom part of the ad was that we'd get a free T-shirt if we came out for the day. So being 11-year-olds, that was all it took uh, for us to go out for the day to try the sport of luge. Um, from there, I got invited to go to Lake Placid, New York, and try the sport in the wintertime, and that's when I got hooked to the sport and made the U.S. development team, which is the lowest level. Um, so I was on the team for, for many years, and, and 12 years later, I made my first Olympic, uh, you know, through lots of ups and downs in my career. For people who don't watch the Olympics, which sport is the luge? So luge is the, uh, a sliding sport, and it's the one where the individuals are lying on their back going feet first. So it's, it's the fastest of the three sports. <laughs> that sounds a little crazy. Uh, it's a little bit. Um, you know, we do have quite a bit of control with our sleds. We spend a lot of time with our equipment, fine-tuning them. Um, you know, when you first start in the sport, you start really low down on the track, and you work your way up until you're comfortable with the higher speeds and the and the equipment. Um, so, you know, I, I do have quite a bit of control, and it certainly isn't a sport for everyone, but I enjoy it very much. What was it like being part of a sport that didn't have as much understanding as sports like hockey or in the wintertime or figure skating. It certainly made it difficult, you know, starting out as far as fundraising, you know, um, trying to cover my expenses, my equipment needs. Um, you know, in, in 98, 99, this was before the internet was really very popular. And so I spent a lot of time just explaining what the sport was. Um, now it's a little different because everything's so accessible. Um, but it, um, so it was tough at the beginning, but you know, year after year, I kept doing it, kept doing it, kept improving in the sport, and then, you know, got more fans, more followers, and my community um, got behind me. Tell me about your family and their impact on what you've managed to accomplish. Oh, uh, my family uh, has been a huge influence. Uh, you know, first off, my parents for allowing me to do the sport of luge is a great sacrifice. And by the time I was 13, I was traveling to Europe with the Junior World Cup team, and I was gone six or seven months a year. And that's a big sacrifice for a parent to let their kid go off into the world. And you know, so I owe a big, big thank you to them for selflessly allowing me to go after my dreams. Um, and then my sisters, you know, they all, they're both athletic growing up. Um, and, you know, I think there were certainly times where they didn't understand why I was gone for so long. And it got frustrating, um, you know, coordinating all my travel and whatnot. But, you know, they too have been very supportive of me. And, you know, nothing's better than me than having my family watching me compete. Um, you know, Lake Placid, New York's the closest track. So every winter they try to get out there and, and watch me do my thing. 
Where did you grow up and go to school? I grew up in Augusta, Maine, uh, and I graduated from Coney High School in 2003. And this must be one of the reasons why you've chosen to have a camp in, in Reedfield. Yeah, so I moved back to the Augusta area in 2010. I've uh, lived there ever since in my off seasons. And yeah, I wanted to, you know, to give back to the community where I, you know, my childhood was so important to me. I feel like I had a great childhood. I was exposed to so much, you know, being growing up. Augusta is a relatively small town, but there were so many great rec programs and art programs. And, you know, my parents just did a great job of exposing us to a lot. And I want to do the same to, to kids coming behind me to make sure I can give back and give them opportunities to, to try new things. You've also had some real tragedies in your life. Your father passed away when you were only 19 of a heart attack. That's a very young age to lose your father. Yeah, it was um, just after his 51st birthday, and it was really tough uh, to deal with, um, you know, but especially mentally. He was kind of my person always. He was a big sports guy, and so we had a similar mindset, and it was very easy to talk to him about my career, about, you know, problems I was facing on the track or whatnot. So to lose him so suddenly was, you know, it took me a while to adapt to that, a couple years to to really get over not having him, you know, to talk to every day about what was going on, especially, you know, as an athlete. And you also lost your sister, Olivia, in 2010. Yep. That was uh, probably the hardest thing I've ever, or it is the hardest thing I've ever uh, dealt with. My sister passed away from mental illness about six weeks after I competed in the Vancouver Olympics. So I went from, you know, the highest moment of my life quickly to the saddest moment of my life. And um, there's not, you know, not a day I don't think of her and think of the struggle she faced. And, you know, that's another part of my summer camp is giving back to young girls you know, to ensure that they never feel, you know, poorly about themselves. And if I can give them skills as they enter middle and high school, so they're finding activities that they're passionate about and they're, you know, comfortable in their skin and they, they have a positive, you know, self-message for themselves, then, you know, hopefully that'll carry with them through life. Well, tell me about some of the things that you do with the campers so that this type of message is put out there. Yeah, so half the day is spent with me doing different activities around setting goals. Um, so we do a lot of, you know, we talk about why we set goals for ourselves, how we set goals for ourselves, and then understanding the difference between like a big goal and then small daily goals that you can do for yourself. Um, you know, whether it's improving your school grades or a sport, you know, it's really the little goals you set that are going to carry you through to reaching that, you know, that final goal. Um, some of the other things we do is we look at magazines and, and advertisements and the way they're targeting girls and the, the message that the media is sending out there and and trying to understand that, one, you can't avoid it. It's, it's going to be there. And two, you don't you don't have to not read magazines, but make sure you're making opinions for yourself and you're not allowing this outside force to decide how you feel about yourself. Um, and then a lot of the other activities we do is just understanding how important it is to love yourself and to be who you are and to be proud of that person. Um, so we do arts and crafts projects and discussions again and then focus on positive body image, how to build a positive body image, how to take care of yourself, um, you know, mentally and physically. You've also impacted um, 10,000 high school students. As of <laughs> May, you've presented at more than 30 high schools across the state. And part of this is your association with the Maine Beer and Wine Distributors Association and, um, and responsibility. What are some of your major themes? 
Yeah, so at my high school presentations, there's really three things that I, I hit. First is how important it is to try a lot of new things, especially when you're young. Um, because I, I got involved with the sport of luge so randomly, like I said, and when you find things that you're passionate about, it makes it so much easier to live a healthy life, I think, because you love what you're doing and you want to pour all your energy into that. Uh, second is how important, how, how much hard work goes into things that you can't just rely on your talent or skill that you have to be ready to work hard day in, day out, and it, and it can take 12 years to reach a big goal like it did me to make the Olympics. And lastly, or actually I guess four things, um, you know, my most important thing is understanding that you own your own potential yourself. Um, you know, you have to set goals for yourself. You have to set big goals for yourself if you want to go far in sports and school and that you get to decide, you know, your future in those things. And lastly is you have to be ready, you know, for challenges and life is a roller coaster sometimes and you have to have plans in place so that when things do get a little rough or you find yourself, you know, facing a tragic situation that you have a good support system and you have a good plan to allow yourself to heal whether it's mentally, physically or whatnot and move forward from that positively. I have children who have gone through the school system um, and I know that the athletic code is a big part as, as athletes. I know the athletic part is code is a big part of what keeps them from drinking. Mm -hmm. I would love to believe it's because they're just really great kids and they would never want to drink, but, but that code kind of keeps them on track. But there have to be bigger messages that we're giving to our kids about that. Yeah, and certainly, you know, the Maine Beer and Wine Distributors Association, they're eight family-owned businesses in the state of Maine. Um, so they're very passionate about their communities. They all have kids and families in mostly most school age. And so, you know, they care very much about keeping kids safe and keeping them away from their product. They understand that their product comes with a, a responsibility and they want to be out in front of that. Um, you know, so, so w with our partnership, um, the message that I'm giving to kids is, you know, bad decisions can follow you and you're not invisible you know, as well, um, you know, we read, no one wants to read in the paper about a fatal accident or, uh, you know, an in injury or sickness from, from over drinking. And so trying to get kids to realize that they're not invisible, that it can happen to them. And, you know, we live in a great state. There's so many things you can do to, to fill your time, um, you know, so just to focus on those and, and wait till you're older and able to make those decisions for yourself. Here on the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, we've long recognized the link between health and wealth. Here to speak more on the topic is Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial. Sometimes I meet with married or partnered clients, and when we get to talking about their financial lives, a cultural divide bubbles to the surface. One person feels one way about their money, and the other seems to be on their own financial island with a set of beliefs and rules that have created unnecessary borders and boundaries. It's not an uncommon thing, and when I hit those situations, I do my best to help both people understand that neither is 100% right or wrong, that they simply have to take a step back and look at their own financial life in a new light. It is also true in politics and economics. What we need to do is see money as a living thing that can be used to grow our lives together without disagreement or so-called border issues. It's a great feeling for me. It's like I'm helping people negotiate peace treaties with their money. Be in touch if you want to know more. Tom at Shepherd Financial Maine. 
will help you evolve with your money. Securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA, SIPC. Investment advice offered through Flagship Harbor Advisors, a registered investment advisor. Flagship Harbor Advisors and Shepherd Financial are separate entities from LPL Financial. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is brought to you by Bangor Savings Bank. For over 150 years, Bangor Savings has believed in the innate ability of the people of Maine to achieve their goals and dreams. Whether it's personal finance, business banking, or wealth management assistance you're looking for, at Bangor Savings Bank, you matter more. For more information, visit www.bangor.com. also a role modeling aspect to being an athlete and really at at any level I know that in our town in Yarmouth if you're a high school athlete who's been going up through the system you've been an athlete but you've also coached the younger kids you're recognizable on the playing field Um, and so to act responsibly in whatever area whether it's not drinking or whether it's living a goal-oriented life that's something that um, you're not just putting out there for yourself you're putting that out there for people around you. Yeah, certainly. And, you know, I especially think so many high schools are the community. You know, if you, the high schools, everyone in the town reads about them and they want to read good things about their kids in the community. And, um, you know, I feel the same way. And that's another thing in my summer camp we talk about, like it's okay to, to stand out for good things. I think, you know, sometimes at middle school and high school level, kids don't want that positive recognition. They feel uncomfortable with it. And that's kind of a sad thing when you think about it, that kids feel bad about getting good recognition because they're worried about what their peers are going to think. And what has it been like for you to be a role model as an Olympian? Uh, I enjoy it very much. Um, You know, I have a story both as an athlete, you know, my career has had peaks and valleys, my life has had peaks and valleys, and um, I feel very fortunate to be where I am today. And that that's the result of a lot of people supporting me through the years and keeping me grounded and allowing me to stay focused um, on the positive things. And, you know, I want to give back to young kids the way I really feel I've been given through the people, you know, the closest people in my life. And I'm very fortunate because of Luge that I have a little bit of a stage and the ability to do that. And I don't want to waste that opportunity, you know. There's, there's not many times you'll find me saying no to an event to meet kids or to, to interact with kids. It has to be some significant schedule glitch. This past season, you did very well on the World Cup um, scene. You missed qualifying for the 2014 Olympics um, by 13 thousandths of a second? Yes. <laughs> that must have been pretty devastating. It was. It was very um, much so. You know, I I came into the season one of the strongest athletes, and um, early in the season I had a couple small problems with equipment, a couple bad races, and then finally got things back where they needed to be, but uh, came up just a hair short, literally, uh, in that 
and that quest for the Olympics. But, you know, really, I'm able to sit here today, not looking back with a list of what ifs, I really feel that I gave it everything I had to make it back to the Olympics. And I, I came up short. And, you know, that's another important message that sometimes you're going to set goals, and you're not going to make those goals, you know, on that day. And it's okay to reset, refocus and make new goals for yourself and not allow yourself to be defined by that failure. You also had to work your way through an injury, an injury that could have been career ending, Mm -hmm. really. You had a knee injury. Yeah. I tore my knee in 2009, uh, just a couple weeks before the season started, uh, my meniscus and MCL. And um, fortunately, I was in Lake Placid, New York. We have a great medical staff there. Um, And we ran into surgery, and nine days later, I was uh, competing again. And I wasn't off my crutches yet, but I was very determined to, to not let anything get in my way of making that Olympic team. Um, you know, everything I'd gone through to, my, to that point in my career, um, you know, had prepared me for that moment. You have a lot of grit. <laughs> so I'm, I'm stubborn, but, but in a good way, I think. No, that, no it's <laughs> so. a good thing. I say this in a, in a, I'm very admiring of your grit because it's not everybody that could have that significant knee injury, go forward, compete, deal with, you know, the loss of a father at a young age, deal with the loss of a sister at a young age, um, deal with finishing 13,000 of a second <laughs> away from making it to the Olympics. And you're still sitting in front of me and you seem like a genuinely happy individual in your life. Yeah, I I am. I, um, I don't have a lot to complain about really, you know, athletically, when I do come up short in races, 13 thousandths of a second short, um, honestly, my life experiences have made that easier to handle with because that's not the bigger picture, um, you know, of what matters to me. And, and through losing my father, my sister, I've learned those lessons the hard way of what really matters to me, you know, in the core of myself. And I, my sister had a son, Lucas, who's my nephew, he's five. And I'm, we're very fortunate to have a, a big uh, involvement in his life. And so, you know, that's really where most of my energy goes to is is raising him and, and being there for him and being a person in his life. And, you know, luge is what I do, but it's not who I am as a person. And I think that's what allows me to, to, to not shrug it off. Of course, I care very deeply. It, it hurt a lot to not make the Olympic team, but it doesn't define me at the end of the day. And I'm okay with that. My observation of the Augusta area is that it tends to be a pretty... You have a pretty close knit community. It is. It's a. It's a pretty fairly small city, um, you know, and it, and it's a very active city. Uh, like I said, there's a lot of rec programs for kids growing up from a young age. There's a lot of the Y is a, a staple in the in the town with swim programs, outdoor activities. So it's it's a pretty tight group of people and. Um, I, I very much enjoy living there. That's kind of what I why I came back to Maine because I miss that community feel of when you go into the grocery store, you probably are going to run into five people, you know, that you know and have. It's going to add on a half hour to your grocery trip catching up. So, both of your parents were teachers, and your sister Amelia is now a teacher at Haldale Middle School in Hollowell. You took classes uh, at the University of Maine, and you're now studying to become an engineer. Yes. So education is important to your family and to you. 
Yeah, it is. Both my parents were educators, principals. Um, so growing up, school was, you know, the number one priority. My mom mother always told me my job was to be a good citizen. When I, It used to drive me crazy, but now I, I understand. So it was to get good grades. We had to volunteer a couple times a week and read 20 minutes every day. Um, but I'm very, you know, fortunate that carried over to my athletic career. It carries over to my life, my um, my involvement with youth. You know, I've just learned that if you're going to do something, you have to do it fully and um, to go all the way. And I'm grateful to my parents for that lesson and grateful that they put the focus on school. Um, it's something that I still is a priority to me. And I'm very happy that I'm on the home stretch of getting my degree. <laughs> What will you do with your engineering degree when you're done? I So it's electrical engineering. I'm a little bit more on the computer side of things. I like the computer uh, software, um, computer programming. I'm not sure exactly where I'll end up, but um, I enjoy that aspect of my degree the most. Is there a spiritual aspect to the work that you are doing, the work that you have done as an Olympian? You know, I kind of believe that everything's connected, um, and I believe that positive energy is important when you're facing a challenge or facing um, an obstacle. You know, I, I believe in those type of things that every little detail you're involved in matters. It kind of fits together at the end into a puzzle, and, and you have to pay attention to the little pieces to make sure it all goes together. And you're actually a big fan of puzzles. I am a big fan of puzzles. It's probably why I use that analogy. <laughs> so so. It, it seems like there's a lot of things about your life that you kind of like to tinker with and to kind of place in the right spots. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I kind of joke that I wear a lot of hats, but I think I wear them well. And, um, you know, I, I've i seen athletes that just do their sport, and I don't think that's very for me, that was never very fulfilling. When I was younger, it was because I didn't understand really the opportunity I had to grow as an individual. But, um, you know, now being an adult and being a 16-year veteran in the sport of luge, really that's the most important thing to me is what I can do as an outreach, what I can give back to young kids. Um, you know, and if winning races give me gives me more of a platform for that, great. But in 10 years, I don't want to just be known for, you know, someone that won a couple medals. I want to be known for someone that's given back to the community and has been a staple in young girls and young people's lives. Julia, how do people find out about your uh, Julia Klukey's Camp for Girls or the work that you're doing as a spokesperson? Uh, my website is klukeyluge.com, C-L-U-K-E-Y-L-U-G-E.com. Uh, and there's a lot of information there about both the camp, my high school presentations. High schools can sign up there. It's a very easy, you know, one form. And then we look at dates and figure out something that works. Uh, as well, I'm on Facebook and Twitter, the social media avenues. Um, so I'm very accessible, and I like that way because I love when I visit a school and then six months down the road I get a Facebook message from a student telling me they decided to go to this college or they're, they tried softball and they're now on the softball team and, and things like that. So I, I try to make myself very accessible. We've been speaking with Olympian Julia Klukey, who is a member of the U.S. Luge team and a competitor in the 2010 Olympics in Vancouver. I'm so impressed with your with your grit, your determination, and um, the foresight that you have, and the work that you're doing to um, connect with the kids in Maine. So thank you. Thank you that. very much. Thanks for having me. As a physician and small business owner, I rely on Marcy Booth from Booth, Maine, to help me with my own business and to help me live my own life fully. Here are a few thoughts from Marcy. When asked, most of my clients say the same thing about what keeps them up at night. Money. 
making certain cash flow is there to meet day-to-day operational needs. Oh my gosh, is payroll going to be able to make it? When we dig deeper, we understand that those sleepless nights are symptoms of poor planning and forecasting. And more often than not, the reasons for not doing it are a lack of time and a lack of resources. So here's a suggestion. Instead of living in fear of the numbers and losing sleep over them, make peace with them by paying closer attention to the financials and creating positive cash flow. I'm Marcy Booth. Let's talk about the changes you need. BoothMain.com. This segment of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour is brought to you by the following generous sponsors. Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage in Yarmouth, Maine. Honesty and integrity can take you home. With Remax Heritage, it's your move. Learn more at rheritage.com. Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast. It is our great pleasure to have with us in the studio Damon Machetto, who is a fitness coach who has traveled all around the U.S. working with fitness trainers and gyms to create better wellness programs. He's an advocate for healthy living and the host of the High Performance Living Podcast. He's also the author of the No BS Guide to High Performance Living. He lives in Naples, Florida, and works with Florida fitness coaches. Thanks so much for coming in. Thanks for having me. Glad to have you be here. And we are very lucky to have you because, obviously, if you live in Naples, Florida, not Naples, Maine, um, this is a bit of a distance for you. Yeah, yeah, just up, uh, you caught me on a a quick uh, vacation up here, so it was pretty nice. And you have ties to this area anyway. Yeah, actually, I was born and raised here, so um, I moved out of here about 12 years ago, but yeah, I've been, I'm I'm a Mainer at heart. You're a huge proponent of better living for all individuals, and I had the chance to listen to several of your podcasts, also read the book that I downloaded um, to my Kindle app, and and you just you you want people to live better, healthier lives. How did you come to this place? Uh, well, I think it, it really st- well. It started with myself. I think it always does. It starts with yourself, trying to take care of yourself. Um, try. I was trying to find out really what I wanted to do. Um, and then just in that, along that process, I just, you know, found out how, how it affected me, you know, when I'm feeling good, you know, when I'm taking care of myself as opposed to when I wasn't. And then uh, from there, kind of the, the passion grew in terms of, of wanting to help people just, uh, you know, basically live their best. I know that sounds kind of corny in a way, but really at the end of the day, you know, when for me, it all comes down to the physical. I feel like if you can master the physical, you can master anything. And I don't mean that in terms of, having to be in the, in the best shape possible in terms of, you know, bikini body or, or whatever. I just mean, whatever that is to you, whether that's, you know, simply losing weight, simply, you know, running a marathon or, or anything. But if you can master something physically, I just feel like that translates to everything else um, in life. So that's kind of where I come, at, come from at, at it. When I was reading your book, you did talk about the physical and you talked about nutrition, but you also talked about quiet time, regular quiet time. Mm-hmm. And you discussed the fact that it takes about four days to kind of uh, detox yourself from emails and yeah. all this sort of clutter that our minds cling to. Yeah, there was a, I, I, there was a study that I cited in the book and that it was what they did was they, they wanted to um, see how long it, it they, they took people, I think it was up into the mountains. 
and they wanted to see they did brainwave they tested their brains and everything and they wanted to see how long it took them to actually kind of get back to what they would consider normal and it, and we're so and the point was is that we're so um, on all the time where we're so connected all the time that we never really uh, allow ourselves to just kind of almost decompress in a way and it's just really, really important, in my opinion, to, to actually, you know, when it comes to, if we're talking about living a high-performance life, to actually just be quiet. And I think we've gotten to that point where people just can't even take five minutes to just be alone with themselves and kind of like just, you know, for lack of a better term, chill out. And, uh, you know, and what, what I find in, in when we're when working with clients is that when I can get them to actually... And you say the word meditate to somebody and then they freak out and they think it's some voodoo thing. And so I don't use that word because it's not really what I mean, but it's really simply being quiet. And if I can just get them to be quiet for five minutes and just, hey, look, close your eyes and breathe, um, it, it, it's amazing what that actually does to them just to just feel better, calm down. And, the, and it just, just releases some, you know, some stress. It can be hard for people to lose weight if they've been under stress for quite a while and their cortisol levels are elevated and you know it, it seems as though no matter what they do they just you know they're kind of running to stand still mm-hmm. so is this one of the things that you believe helps address that issue absolutely I, I, it plays a huge role i think um there i mean there's a lot of that goes into to fat loss like just a lot of the things that you're talking about hormones and and different things stress levels and so forth but um i think that well, we another thing that happens is that people will come into us like for you're talking about losing weight, and they come in and they're extremely stressed out, and what in their minds when it comes to working out, what they think they need to do is go kill themselves working out, and actually, it's the worst thing they can do because we actually we call it working in. We need to get them to actually work in first as opposed to working out. And what that means is it work on stress techniques. That might be just, hey, let's just do some corrective exercise, some stretching, you know, again, corrective exercises, things like that that aren't stressful um, on the body. Let's, let's get you to a level, and then we'll add that exercise in. Then we'll add more metabolic work, strength training, stuff like that. Because if you think about it, if you're already stressed out, if you're in a really high-stressed body that has your hormones are out of whack, and then they turn around and they, they come in and say, hey, I'm going to do a boot camp. Uh, it's, it's like a recipe for disaster, but it's a hard sell because some people, unfortunately, you know, when you look in the media, it's like if I need to lose weight, I need to kill myself. And it's just not true. And that is one of the things that uh, you addressed, I think, in one of your podcasts, but also in your book, is that we tend to be very extreme in our approach to diet exercise, lifestyle, and that people go way too far in one direction, but it's not sustainable for them over the Mm -hmm. long term. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that's that's one, that's something that we see. It's, it's a good point. Is that they'll come in and, and um, if it's not realistic, if it's not going to fit your lifestyle, you're just not going to be able to maintain it. So maybe you can stick with it for four, six, eight, maybe even 12, 12 weeks, um, and maybe you do get results. Maybe you do lose weight. But the the problem with that is that when I see that person six months to a year later, they're right back where they were in the beginning, or sometimes worse. So it's and and it's because they that the approach that they take, like you said, in the beginning is like, all right, uh, you know, I'm going from zero to sixty, and then they go sixty to zero, and and you really kind of have to like we call it taking the um, A to B approach instead of A to Z. You know, people want to jump from you know I'm at point A and I want to go to Z. It's like no, you got to go B, C, D, and get there because it's going to be something that you can actually implement on a daily basis and just take little small steps. And it's going to be once you build on those steps, you can maintain them, and it just becomes part of your lifestyle as opposed to kind of just jamming it, you know, down your throat to hey, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this, but it really doesn't work. 
You also suggest that uh, you really hope people will firmly have a habit ingrained before they move on to the next. I think one of the examples you gave in the book that you wrote was you want people to um, be good about getting up and eating breakfast and having 50 ounces of water a day Mm -hmm. before you actually will will move them forward. You want the habits there. Mm -hmm. Is there a reason that you approach it that way? Yeah, because what I find that is like, so uh, I guess an example would be a lot of times people will come in and they want to know quote what to eat, you know, what to work out, and they want to do all all things at once. And the problem is that when they're when they're coming in and before they're asking that question, I'm, and I ask, well, what have you been doing? And the answer is nothing. Like I, I really haven't been eating healthy or or, or whatever. Um, I haven't been working out. So what you're trying to do is say, all right, I'm going to change all these habits overnight, and it just doesn't work. So I mean, and it depends. So nutritionally is usually a little bit harder um, from a, a consistency standpoint because if you're asking someone to work out and and maybe it's at beginning it's three days a week and and maybe maybe it's going for a walk or whatever and they can fit that in um, maybe it's going to the gym and, and they have that in their schedule that's fine but nutritionally it just seems to be the challenge that like um, if you say you know you got to maybe change this particular food group or, or whatever and it's just hard to stick with it so I like to start like water you gave was the example that's just simple most people just don't drink enough water they're, they're dehydrated so um, so it's real simple it, you know I need you to get up you know I need to drink 50 ounces of, we recommend half your body weight in ounces so I need you to get that habit down first now if you haven't been if you've been drinking like one glass of water a day I'm not gonna tell you to do that I'm gonna say alright can we just double that give me two to three glasses because it has to be realistic. It has to be something that you can can do, but get that down first, because if you proved, if, and it's also a mental thing, because also you know your your mind starts saying, hey, I can do this. I did it. I was consistent with it, so I can go on to the next thing. Versus, all right, let's do five things, and your your mind just gets overwhelmed and says, you know, you know, it's not going to happen. I'm just going to go back to my old ways. It's easier. Yeah, I believe one of your podcast guests, you were talking about sort of these micro changes. And he gave the example of a guy who'd written a book who wanted to exercise and write. And he started by doing one push up a day mm-hmm. and yeah. writing like 10 words a day or something like yeah. that. And yeah. he was able to kind of keep yeah. moving the ball forward yeah. in an incremental way. But And I think that's the key is that it, it be, I really think that comes back to the mental edge is that it, it, your your mind, it's just it's um, it's easier to to. Um, believe it I guess for lack of a better, better way of saying it is that it's like yeah I, you know I, I did 10 push-ups I can do 11 that's realistic it's not versus doing zero and saying I need to do 11 it's just your mind just doesn't it doesn't grasp it and I think the um so like an example with um for goal setting for example like they talk about they say like hey when you're setting goals don't set something that like you know use use money so let's say you know you made a uh, you know fifty thousand dollars don't set the goal for next year to make half a million your mind just can't wrap. It can't wrap around. It can't wrap itself around that. So, but if you say, "All right, I'm going to increase by fifty percent," your your mind can say, "Hey, I can do that. It's realistic. It's still a little bit of a stretch goal, but it's not out of the realm where it's like too unrealistic." I think that's kind of the way I look at it from habits for people too. Is like it has to be something that they can get behind and feel good about too. Because the other, the flip side would be, when I don't do it, then I feel bad about it and then I feel worse and now I'm going to go eat that chocolate cake or, or whatever go have a couple drinks you know it just depends so in another podcast you spoke with a doctor about the difference between um, I guess what is 
what is normal and what is good or something like this. So I guess the, I'm trying to remember exactly the terms that were used, but you know, two thirds of our country is overweight and obese. Mm-hmm. So what would be considered normal within our society is really probably not good for us in any right. way. And it doesn't make us feel good. Mm-hmm. Um, so even though it's normal, it's not the right path. You, you're trying to get people on what the right path is for, for themselves and, right. and have them have their own normal, their own yeah. right way. Right. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, everyone's an individual. I mean, everyone needs to, to find out what, what it is they're looking for. But um, uh, I, I think that most people aren't addressing that at all, though, today. I, I don't even think, like, um, when you when you say, you know, two-thirds is, is overweight. So there's a big, obviously, that's, that's a big number. Um, and unfortunately, that number's not getting better. That's been getting worse year after year after year. So um, how do we you know, get people to get, um, I don't want to say get excited, but actually just make it a, a priority. And, and what I, this is a, probably a better way of saying it, is what I like to, to tell people is that from a health perspective, um, if health isn't a top three value for you, it's going to be very hard for you to turn the corner, so to speak. So, I mean, you know, maybe you put family and, and financial security and, and different values and that's fine. But when you actually talk to most people about it, health is down the line. It could be five, six, or seven. And, and what I found just in work, you know, over the years in working with people, if that's the case, it's going to be really, really hard to make that change to a healthy lifestyle. Versus the people that are, are you know, if you the, the um, people that are, are living a healthy lifestyle, if you ask them, you you know right off that it, that health is a top three priority. It's a top three value. It's very, very important for them. So it's part of what they do. It's what they. It's like putting on their clothes in the morning. It's just health is. Just what they're going to do and I think that's one of the things that we're trying to do is that if we can make that um, more important to people or they can see that hey you know everything's great when you do it this way and it's and I think the other thing that people think is it's like it's a big sacrifice and it's not it's just that how you approach it I, I really like what you just said about how it doesn't have to be a sacrifice, that it can actually be enjoyable. And right. it's not just how good you feel when you're in good shape but it's also how good you feel when you're getting in good shape right. while you're out there being active. And I, I think that's something that people sometimes forget. They think, well, you know, it, I'm going to lose 50 pounds, and after I lose 50 pounds, then I'll feel good. But right. it's that's really, that's not the way that it needs to be looked at. No, I, exactly. And I also think, too, is if you asked, if you pulled someone on the street, maybe, um, what do I, you know, to, what do you think you need to do to lose weight? Oh, well, first thing is, is I need to go on a diet, which you know, diet is bad work. You know, no one wants to hear that, number one. And then number two, I have to kill myself working out. So if that's the impression that people have of being healthy, I kind of get why it's, you know, two-thirds of the of the uh, population of the weight. It makes kind of sense. So if we can get that, so if we can get that message out that it, it you don't have to diet, number one. Number two, you don't have to kill yourself working out to live a healthy lifestyle. I think we could actually change the tide a little bit. But that's just, you know, that's that's where we need to start. It's getting people's perception of how they look at, you know, what a healthy lifestyle is. It's because usually if you ask them, it's just, it's a, they think it's torture. And it's just not. So, You seem to be a proponent of interval training versus, you know, long distance running, for yeah. example. You seem to think you can get exactly what you need in very well thought out um, workout regimens that don't necessarily take that long. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but well, that's another, kind of come back to the point is like people think they have to work out forever to get results and you just don't. Most people either A, 
just kind of ran, don't know what they're doing in terms of randomly working out and, or be and they, which turns into working out too long. But yeah, interval, um, interval training is a great way from a, um, not only a health standpoint, but from a fat loss perspective, um, studies show time and time again, it's, it's, um, more effective than long bought out, um, drawn out, uh, bouts of endurance training. And, and it's nothing against, um, uh, endurance athletes or, or people who like to run and like to do that thing. I don't, if, if you like to do that, that's great. Um, I just personally don't. So, um, but from if you come to me from a from a goal of all right, so for instance, fat loss, I just know it's not as effective. Um, and really, um, so we we break it down for um, like for fat loss, for instance, if we talk about that for a second. Is um, really it comes down to we call it the hierarchy of fat loss. And number one, it's nutrition. It comes down to nutrition. That's the first thing. The second step is C number one because that's how important it is. You have to have your nutrition in line. Um, the third thing is strength training. Strength training is much more effective for fat loss than people realize. And then the fourth thing would be interval training or metabolic training. Um, and then the last thing is just moving more, and if that's cardio, that's running, whatever, but just getting you to move more. Um, that, that's kind of the, 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 um, the hierarchy that we follow and that we see the, follow and see the best results. There was a time when the apothecary was a place where you could get safe, reliable medicines, carefully prepared by experienced professionals, coupled with care and attention, focused on you and your unique health concerns. Apothecary by Design is built around the forgotten notion that you don't just need your prescriptions filled, you need attention, advice, and individual care. Visit their website, apothecarybydesign.com, or drop by the store at 84 Marginal Way in Portland and experience pharmacy care the way it was meant to be. Experience chef and owner Harding Lee Smith's newest hit restaurant, Boone's Fish House and Oyster Room, Maine Seafood at its finest. Joining sister restaurants The Front Room, The Grill Room, and The Corner Room, this newly renovated two-story restaurant at 86 Commercial Street on Custom House Wharf overlooks scenic Portland Harbor. Watch lobstermen bring in the daily catch as you enjoy baked stuffed lobster, raw bar, and wood-fired flatbreads. For more information, visit www.theroomsportland.com. So tell me about your recommendations for nutrition. Well, here's the thing with nutrition. For every this one, what I believe is that everybody's an individual, and I think that what's going to work for me from a fat loss standpoint or a, a health standpoint might not work for you. It might be a little bit different. You kind of have to definitely find that. But there are some principles that we absolutely recommend. So the first thing, it's real simple, is we just um, follow a whole foods approach. If you could just that's the first step. If you just did that one thing, it basically didn't any, eat anything out of a box or packaged food, and just eat more whole foods. So whether that's you know vegetables, fruits, um, nuts, meats, whatever, fish, things like that, that alone would would be great. Um, but I mean, there's all kinds of whether you're you're vegan, you're paleo, you're you're vegetarian. I really don't kind of I don't get dogmatic in any of the approaches, that, and I, I because I just find that. Again, it comes back to the individual. So start there um, and then find out what works for you. So um, with Whole Foods um, is the first step. And then the second step is finding out, you know, some people can, can get away with eating more carbohydrates, for instance. Some people um, don't. 
So you, you kind of have to experiment with that. Well, I know that there has been a – we've gone back and forth on should we have – no fat in our diet? Should we have carbs replacing the fat in our diet? <laughs> now we're all the way over on let's have meat and no carbs. Uh-huh. And, you know, I think you're right. I think every person is mm-hmm. very individual. And I've seen some of what happens when people take chunks of nutrients out of their diets. Mm-hmm. And maybe it helps them lose weight. In fact, oftentimes it does. But a lot of patients that I've seen come in who have, for example, removed all carbohydrates from their diets. Mm-hmm. You know, carbohydrates are very good for serotonin levels and for mm-hmm. mood. And so when you take all those carbohydrates out, sometimes the mood suffers and yeah. sometimes they have difficulty sleeping. So I am with you that, you know, I think it's got to be a balance and it really has to yeah. be every person figuring out what yeah, works. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, uh, for instance, let's, let's talk, like, if you, like, take a ketogenic diet, for instance, which is zero carbohydrates, well, there are certain instances where people do really well on that, and they need to maybe because from, from a health standpoint. Um, and that's fine. And then then if I, you know, I couldn't do that. You know, so it's really, it, I, but to knock it is not fair. You know, because if that's working for you, meaning, like, say your, your weight's stable, and you've done, you know, blood work, and everything's coming back, a okay then how can we knock that and that drives me nuts because of the dogmatic approach of like you know we, you know we t- couldn't be more opposite if you take a paleo person and a vegan person i mean that's just you know put two of those people in a room it's hilarious so but if it's working for you know let's say the paleo person is feeling great their health markers are excellent how can the the vegan person should be able to, to knock them and vice versa so that's how i look at it and um you know, another thing you mentioned about kind of the, um, how things have changed. Well, I don't eat the same way I ate 15 years ago. Um, and I look at the way I did eat and I laugh. You know, I, the, the amount of fat in my diet now as opposed to 15 years ago, it's, it's, it's you know, comical. Um, I, you know, if you told me I'd be eating, drinking, coke, putting coconut oil in my coffee in the morning, I sort of told you you're crazy. But, um, but there's the part of that too is like, um, when you're looking at the research, it's not that we, you know, things are, um, I don't know how to say this, but change, it's just new research came out. We just didn't know at the time. So when the research comes out and it's solid research, you know, and, and we can, you know, practice it, put it into play, um, that's what happens. I, and I, I don't think it makes us, uh, you know, a bad person for giving this recommendation 15 years ago. It was just that that's what we knew. Um, and things are changing. And, and for, hopefully for the better, you know, the more we learn, the more we, we know. And I think... Um, uh, someone said this, and I think they, they it's a great point. Our body is like a chemistry lab. You know, um, we, we really just, you know, there's a lot we can do with it, and there's more and more we're finding out. So especially when it comes to nutrition, it's it's amazing. Well, I think that's true. And I, I remember advertisements where doctors were actually called in to um, give recommendations about smoking. Mm-hmm. They were, it was, I think there was some cigarette, it was toast your throat. So, you know, doctors <laughs> were asked to, you know, be proponents of that. Right, right. And then we found out, of course, that that's the opposite of yeah. what we want to be doing. Right. So that's a very fair point that things have evolved and we know more than we used to. And, and, and even frankly, we need to be approaching things differently just by virtue of the fact that we're now two thirds overweight and obese. Even our culture mm-hmm. just needs to be doing things differently. Yeah, absolutely. So I think we are always going to be in some Transition, yeah. Transition. Sure. Which leads me to another question I have for you dealing with flexibility. I mean, you talked about strength strength training and interval workouts. And um, what types of flexibility work do you do with your clients? That's where we start, actually. Um, we, um, 
in our system we call it a, we call it our quote ramping program which is range of motion activation and movement prep so um, for us everyone goes through a functional movement screen so what we do is we find out um, and everybody has some type of deviations issues you know it is what it is just you know because the way we um, most of us sit all day long now but um, so from there what we what we do is we find out what muscles are tight mu what muscles are weak because if you have a tight muscle you're gonna have an opposing weak muscle so just to stretch out the 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 um, tight muscle and not activate the the weak muscle is that's no good either so you really have to have that approach so that's how we do we, the first before we actually start training the first thing we do is they come our clients come in and they go through because they've been assessed we and they know what muscles are tight what muscles are weak and so forth and we work that first so a flexibility and corrective exercise is a huge part of what we do and then I believe you're right that it does ultimately come back around to the mental because I I think you were talking I do recommend people who are listening to the to us talk that they go and they look at your listen to your podcast because I got some great information you know 30 40 minutes worth of conversation that you had with various people authors of various um, books and experts in the field and one of the things that I that really hit home was making sure that you're hanging out with the right people oh yeah that's huge that you know, mental the mental aspect of all of this is really big. But if you have set these great goals for yourself and you're doing all the right stuff, but all the pe the top five people that you hang out with on a regular basis, they're not moving you forward in the right direction. And you really have to yeah, you have to assess that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a that's yeah. Um, I, so if you I mean sticking with the health theme, if you're if you're trying to like make a change, how you're trying to eat better and and work out, maybe lose weight or whatever, and then all the you know the people that you surround yourself with don't work out don't eat right drink all the time that's their lifestyle it's gonna be really hard for you to make that change so um at that point you're probably gonna want to make you know find some new friends or find some new people to hang out with or, or whatever and um that i mean sometimes it can be harsh but you know if if they're not positive in your life you really need to to think that through um and that, and that is a tough one. Mm, I mean, we're, you're just talking about making dietary changes, yeah. but sometimes you hang out with a bunch of people that they're all, you know, say you've got a dream to open a business and mm -hmm. all these people are saying, you know, don't do that. We don't believe in you. You shouldn't believe in you're yourself crazy. either. Yeah. You're crazy. I mean, then you're, then yeah, it's awfully hard to kind of keep moving yourself in, yeah, the, in the right direction. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and then and yeah, I, that's a. I think uh, it was Jim Rohn who said, "Show me the, the you know five people you hang around with, and I'll show you your net worth or something like that." You know, it's it's pretty it's true usually. So, um, but it, I think I had um, Andrea Owen on one of my podcasts, and she's a, a life coach, and she I, she I was adamant about like you know if they're not positive in your life, they need to go. It's just easier said than done. That's all. Well, that that is certainly true. It's it's especially if you say have married one of these people or given birth to them or something. Yeah, so. that's different. Well, family's <laughs> different. I think family's different. I think for sure. I mean, but uh, friends, I think is like that's you know, are they really your friends at that point? I guess. I also think it's interesting for people um, to understand that you did not you weren't born into what you're doing, that you actually had a corporate job for 10 years. And granted, it was in the health field, but you know, you've had a variety of injuries and you're pretty upfront about this in your book. You tore your ACL, you know, you traveled around the country for 10 years, you lived out of hotel rooms. So you've done all the things that I think a lot of people use as, I, wanna, I don't wanna use the word excuses, but they kind of are. Um, 
to keep them from getting healthy. And and you still were able to maintain health as a priority. Uh-huh. So it is possible. Absolutely. I think that, um, you know, I went from uh, having a training business um, to work, like, as you said, going into the, into the corporate world and traveling. And, I mean, I was on the road from Tuesday through Friday, you know, hotels, airports, you know, I mean, we all know how easy it is to eat in the airport, right? Healthy. I mean, <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I did it. I made it, you know, and, and, and to your point is like, it's a choice. That's what it comes down to. It's a choice. You can either choose to say, oh, I'm traveling. I'm going to eat junk. Um, I'm going to, you know, not work out. I'm going to just sit all day, whatever. It's a choice. And that's what it comes down to. Um, and I, yeah, I didn't. I mean, I, 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 I made sure that I, I worked out when I was on the road. Um, I made healthy choices when I could when it came when it came to, to um, nutrition. So, um, you know, yeah, it can absolutely be done. It's a choice, and uh, um, I, I don't want to say it's easy. I, I'm certainly not going to say, oh, it's like you know, it's a piece of cake. You got a you know, a health food store in every um, airport in, in the country. You don't. But you can make it happen. You can make choices if if you try. And if you sometimes people just need help. I like and we I have clients that have you know they travel for you know I coach them online and they you know that's what they do for for a living. So we have to work through that. And we you know once we just point out a few simple tips like oh wow I never thought of that. I'm like well there you go. So you're good. But yeah, um, I guess that's ultimately what I could say. There's it's a choice. People either choose to be. You know, it's a, it comes back to that value thing that I was talking about. It's either a top three for you or it's not. So it's a top three for me, so it was probably easier for me to make that choice. Um, so I would come back to the value situation first. It's like you have to make that a priority. Then it's going to be a lot easier for you to choose when you're in those situations. Damon, how can people find out about your book, your podcast, the work that you do with clients? Um, best place to... to um, look is probably on my website my online website is highperformancelivingonline.com um or on uh, i'm on twitter just my handle is damon machetto and facebook the same thing and we also want to thank you for having such a wonderful sister marcy booth (laughs) who is a longtime supporter of our um of our show and also has been a longtime financial advisor to me so she's kind of kept me on the straight and narrow as far as that's concerned so you guys come from a good bloodline yeah, so. she's pretty good. <laughs> she's pretty good. Uh, we've been speaking with Damon Machado, who is a fitness coach and host of the High Performance Living podcast and author of the No BS Guide to High Performance Living. Thanks so much for coming in today. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. You have been listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, show number 159, Motivation Multiplied. Our guests have included Julia Kluke and Damon Machado. For more information on our guests and extended interviews, visit doctorlisa.org. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is downloadable for free on iTunes. For a preview of each week's show, sign up for our e-newsletter and like our Dr. Lisa Facebook page. Follow me on Twitter and see my daily running photos as Bountiful One on Instagram. We'd love to hear from you, so please let us know what you think of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour. We welcome your suggestions for future shows. Also, let our sponsors know that you have heard about them here. We are privileged that they enable us to bring the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour to you each week. This is Dr. Lisa Belial. I hope that you have enjoyed our Motivation Multiplied show. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of your day. May you have a bountiful life. 
The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine, Marcy Booth of Booth, Maine, Apothecary by Design, Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage, Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial, Harding Lee Smith of The Rooms, and Bangor Savings Bank. Dr. Lisa Belisle is a physician trained in family and preventative medicine, acupuncture, and public health. She offers medical care and acupuncture at Brunswick Family Medicine. Read more about her integrative approach to wellness in Maine Magazine. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is recorded in the studio of Maine Magazine at 75 Market Street, Portland, Maine. Our executive producers are Kevin Thomas, Susan Grisanti, and Dr. Lisa Belisle. Our assistant producer is Leanne Wiemet. Audio production and original music by John C. McCain. Our online producer is Kelly Clinton. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is available for download free on iTunes. See the Dr. Lisa website or Facebook page for details. Thank you.